I think we can all agree creating your fulfilled life comes with plenty of challenges. Add in your unyielding desire to become a full-time immersive entrepreneur, well, life just got a bit tougher and yet far more rewarding at the same time. Yes, being wholly responsible for your quality of life as boss will require gumption and chutzpah, but you can do it if you are willing to do the work. As an eventual entrepreneur, I want you to get in the driver's seat and create the life you'll love. Create impact and meaningful contributions doing what you love on your terms for the rest of your life. Starting now. Don't quit. Don't give up. Start up and thrive. The how-to podcast for eventual entrepreneurs with your host, Charlene Sanders. excited about today's episode because we get a chance to talk to someone who understands something that entrepreneurs just don't think about, especially new entrepreneurs, in a deep, meaningful way, and that is UX design. Today, I invited Jen Downs on the show to talk to us about what UX design is, how it relates to the customer, what we should be thinking about as creators when we're building out platforms meant to provide solutions for our customers. What does that look like and also what that has to do with customer experience. Jen is a techie by day, also advocating for nonprofits who need tech-related help. Jen founded Atlanta Tech Citizens as a solution for nonprofit organizations who have tech-related issues but they don't have the resources, be it a staff or money and funding available to address those issues. By night, Jen also happens to be a rock star bass guitar player and drummer. Take a listen to today's podcast episode. I'm sure you'll get much from the discussion that Jen and I had about her thoughts on UX design, her processes, her journey, and what she hopes to do moving forward. I was lucky enough that the tech support job that I found then was a tiny four-person startup called MailChimp. They really embodied an entrepreneurial spirit. I just found myself kind of accidentally in a career that I didn't know I was going to love, but I I love a lot. The thing we talk about a lot in the UX world is that we're really we're really there to help understand the needs, motivations, and behaviors of your users. Places that I've worked that really, you know, kind of embrace UX as a whole company idea have had more solid brands than other companies that I've worked at before. Getting more into the nonprofit world, I just started seeing like deeper and deeper issues. People don't know how to talk about technology. So many tools for nonprofits are badly designed. It, it just, it sparked something in me and I was like, I'm going to do something. I don't know what yet. That combination of inspiration and experience, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Atlanta Tech Citizens. Who's interested? Who knows that they need something in tech, but they don't know what it is? You know, I want to connect with those nonprofits. Start with some discovery. Start talking about your idea with people. Let them let them know what you're thinking about. Have conversations about it. And it's just a day-by-day process, I think. You know, you've got to lean into your idea, start working at it bit by bit. I've got the curiosity to find out where that intersection is and just chip away at it. I'm just going to enjoy this for a while. I'm going to see what the world brings to me next. I met Jen at the F Up Atlanta event and I was so intrigued by her story as well as what she does as a UX designer that I just had to have her on the show. So Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you 
so much. I'm so glad you were available to join us. And if you don't know a lot about Startup and Thrive, it's the podcast to help eventual entrepreneurs not quit and kind of understand all of the different nuances of what it means to be a founder or start their own thing. And I think UX design experience is something that we just don't think about. So that's where you come in. Tell me a little bit about your story from then until now. And you can start wherever you like as far as what your then is. Sure. Wow, my story is kind of kind of a winding story, as I think many people's story is. But I, uh, I definitely did not start out in the field of uh, user experience design. Um, in a past life, I was a bookkeeper by day and was trying to be a rock and roll star by night. Um, and when the... Uh, band broke up, I thought, well, you know, I should probably try to find a more viable career choice than a uh, punk rock bassist. And I started looking around for um, just kind of an entry-level customer support or tech support job. And I was lucky enough that the tech support job that I found um, was that what then was a tiny four-person startup called MailChimp. And I... Um, and so MailChimp was a really great place to get my start because they just really embodied um, an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, they were a company that never took any um, investment money from the start. And they also embodied the idea of UX and user experience um, all throughout the company. So when I started in tech support there, um, my goal wasn't to just get people off the phone and, you know, get to the next person and tell them how to use the product. Part of what I was supposed to do is to listen to what they were saying and find ways to make their experience better. So I got started uh, pretty early in UX at MailChimp just because it was a, it was a whole company idea. Um, and so, you know, through that, I, uh, I just worked really hard at everything I did there and learned everything I could and worked my way up from tech support to technical writing. I did QA and deliverability. And eventually they were like, you know, we think we might have a knack for this UX thing. So we're going to put you in that department. And I was so lucky they, like, let me buy all the books that I needed to learn and go to all the conferences that I needed to. And I just found myself kind of accidentally in a career that I didn't know I was going to love, but I, I love a lot. And that's amazing. I love, like you say, the fact that they actually tapped into providing you with all of the tools and resources that you needed to make what they needed happen at MailChimp. A lot of times in startups, you have the need, but you don't necessarily get to get all of the tools and resources to make it happen. So you're just kind of figuring it out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Help us understand for those of us that are non-technical or technical adjacent, um, as far as creative entrepreneurs, help us to understand what is UX design? How do you define it in layman's terms? Sure. Well, I like to say that UX just, just the two letters UX is simply the experience your user is having with your company or organization, with your website or your support team. It's kind of how they come away feeling after they interact with you. Um, 
And sometimes I think it gets a little conflated with the term UI, which is the user interface. So the two do go hand in hand most of the time. Um, but the terms really shouldn't be used interchangeably. Um, and so UX as a profession, um, you know, it really depends on the company and their needs and, and what they're looking for if, if, if they're hiring a UX person, but it can mean anything from, um, like really early discovery research to um, usability testing. It can be the person who creates the wireframes and the prototypes and the user journeys, um, all the way up to um, sometimes including the interaction design and visual design that goes into the user interface. So it's kind of a fuzzy term, um, but... Um, it's, it's 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 a fuzzy and kind of dependent on where you're at kind of kind of term. So it's uh it's fun to talk about. Does that mean sure. that the UX experience kind of fits into the whole customer discovery validation you know phase of the product lifecycle that you hear so much about in the startup world, or is it like is it a one and done, or is it something you continually work at? Oh, it's definitely something that you continue to work at. Um, I think, you know, bringing it into the process early and often is um, something that will set you apart and make you a a better, you know, better company with better offerings. So does it address, does U.S. design actually address the who, what, when, where, what? Like, does it address all of those things or only a particular aspect of the user experience? Um, I think it can affect um, all of those things, but the the thing we talk about a lot in the UX world is that we're really um, we're really there to help understand the needs, motivations, and behaviors of your users. A lot of companies think of things in terms of the bottom line. When it comes to the U.S. experience, though, are there other ways that you guys measure it aside from measure whether it's working? Um, and know where you need to tweak aside from just the bottom line or sales? How do you know if it's working the way you intend it? How do you measure that? Sure. It's, um, it, it is incredibly hard to measure like a direct ROI of UX, um, which kind of drives business people a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, but, you know, we, we see, um, Success in UX, um, you know, there's there's kind of the easy successes you can see through usability testing. So if you put your product in front of five to ten people and, you know, as you're going through it, you see, oh, my gosh, look at that pain point and that pain point. And then you redesign it, you make it a little bit better, you put it in front of people and they don't have that issue anymore. You know, it, there's, they're, they're kind of kind of fuzzy wins. Um <laughs> But I like that I don't um, think I've ever heard that before. Fuzzy wins. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> I'm really into the word fuzzy right now for some reason. I think it's I think it's just being around my dogs a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm going to join the bandwagon because it's something about that that just felt good. Fuzzy wins. <laughs> it's not as easy to measure the ROI. I don't know. It's, it almost sounds as if it's a moving target. Yeah, it it really is because every time you redesign something and every time you improve something, it's harder and harder to go back and compare it to um to what you did before. 
But one of the ways that we kind of looked at it um, back when I worked at MailChimp was that um, we had a very close relationship between the UX team and the customer support team. Um, and so, you know, we would have them, we, we had a wall of post-its where they could write down all the issues they were seeing. And as people passed by them through the day, they'd be like, oh, I saw that one too. I saw that one too. And so, you know, once we started getting a lot of um, comments about one feature, you know, we, we would look to see, okay, is that is that something that we have, that we need to address right now, that we have the means to address right now? And, you know, we would fix it and then look to see how the comments about those features changed. Did they just totally stop coming in? Did people have a different complaint about it um, after we made changes to it? Um, I think that it's, it's really neat to know that you've got a feature or something about your product that is missing that people are telling you about all the time and you have the opportunity to fix it. And then you just get radio silence. Like that's an, kind of an awesome feeling for for a UX person. Wow, radio silence is a good thing. I would never have thought. But, uh, when it comes to customer complaints, it definitely is. You're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. That actually does make sense. So, would you consider UX designers as part of? I. I don't know. Again, because I'm a creative entrepreneur, I'm trying to fit all of this technical stuff into my brain. Would you consider UX designers as part of brand builders? If so, if not, why or why not? Um, yeah, I think they can be um, a part of your um, brand builder as well. Um, I think the things that you find out in the discovery phase and, um, you know, as you hear people talking about your product, I think tuning into that can help. Um, I've always been more on the product building side of things, so I'm not as not as well-versed on how it affects your brand, but places that I've worked that really, you know, kind of embrace UX as a whole company idea have had more solid brands than other companies that I've worked at before. So there's definitely something there um, that I'm, I'm just not as strong in that area. Gotcha. Now, you, it's interesting that you say the companies that you've worked with have typically had stronger brands, but I'm thinking in MailChimp, you kind of started out with them. So it's kind of like you helped them build that better brand. I mean, I like to think so. <laughs> I think I think the, the interesting thing about the, the MailChimp voice was that um, it, you know, the, the, the founders had a very, like, human tone to everything they did. And um, early on, the brand was, you know, sarcastic and witty. And I think that, I think that they saw that in me, too. And I sort of brought what they were doing with the marketing side to the customer service side. So the, there was no differentiation between what we looked like on the website and how we were speaking to people that we wanted to get to use the product and the way that we were communicating with them through customer service. Because, you know, sometimes you can go to a website and, and it, you know, it's this really cool brand and they talk to you like you're an actual person and then you get to customer service and you're like, did they even read what I read or what I wrote? Did I they even pay attention? I, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> today 
with Uber. I don't mind putting it out there. I just had that experience today. And I am in, in my other field. I'm a consultant that's in the whole organizational management and org development space. And for me, it's all about connecting what you say on paper and as your marketing collateral with the actual customer experience. And it's bothersome for me when there's a disconnect there. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was the same way. Um, after MailChimp, I worked at a startup called Shootproof. And they um, provide professional tools and galleries for professional photographers. And so they also had a really cool, um, really hip brand. Um, and I'm not sure. It's been a couple of years since I worked there. But at the time... All of the people who were customer support people were also professional photographers. And so they could really talk to the people um, that were writing in and that were our customers and like understand them on a deeper level and have real conversations with them. Um, and both of those, you know, MailChimp and Shootproof just had really extraordinary brands and, and, you know, really solid products too. So I think there's something there when you can really make that experience go from end to end in your company, you're going to be top notch. Gotcha. So, you know, to that end, what other companies are getting it right in your estimation, whether it is from your own personal experience or just being in this space, in this community where you kind of hear what brands are hitting the mark right? That is a really good question. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, and it, it is a hard question because most times it's only going to come from your experience, but you only think about it when something bad happens, like it did for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one organization I think is doing it really well. Um, and I am I know a few people in their, their UX department, but I don't know exactly um what the overall influence is in the company, but I do know that State Farm is doing a really good job of um, making their brand more of an experience. Um, they recently started an initiative called Neighborhood of Good, and um, they provide a way for you to look up on their website um, volunteer opportunities in your neighborhood. And... Um, they, I don't know if you ever saw the State Farm commercial where the, uh, it, it was the guy and the dog. So the guy finds this lost dog and he takes the dog in and then all of these people who need help start coming into his life and start kind of following him around. Um, and he's just overwhelmed by the burden of wanting to help and not really knowing how, but then he stops by a volunteer center and, um, you know, finds a way to help. And it's just such a, it's such a tearjerker commercial, um, with a beautiful song behind it. I mean, it's like, they are really getting kind of that part of the, the emotional part of the experience in there. And then they're carrying that into, um, hosting volunteer opportunities in some places. Um, and I was at a coffee shop uh, sometime in the last few months, and this woman came up to me, and she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up your tab today. And I was like, really? Why? And she's like, well, State Farm's just trying to make their neighborhoods just a little bit better. I was like, you're not going to ask me any market research questions? Because <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, I'm excited because I, I want to answer your market research questions. She's like, no, we just want to buy you a cup of coffee. 
And I was like, man, they're doing, they're doing something really, really special right now. You actually conveyed a lot. And then when you think about it, a commercial is only 30 to 45 seconds. So the fact mm-hmm. that you were able to get all of that, that experience from that, you know, quick commercial, it does say that they're doing something right. What's, um, what are the trends right now? Like what's going on with UX? Um, what's the new conversations or the new issues that um your community is trying to tackle if it is such a thing is there certain is there is there a certain conversation that's happening right now about the future and forecasting of ux design yeah that's a really interesting question um uxers really like to uh to talk about their field because i think it's so young so um it's so young as a uh well, is, is a known field. You know what I mean? Like, there have been people who have been practicing it forever, but as far as coming into the general public's knowledge, it's very new. Um, I think some of the things that we are struggling with, you know, we have a constant conversation around should designers code? Should coders know UX principles? And, um, you know, a lot of people think that means, like, you've got to be an expert in both fields. Um, but I don't think it, it does. I, I think that it's good for a UX designer to, um, you know, have some knowledge of how technology works and have, you know, a good understanding of it. Maybe know a little bit of HTML and CSS so you can know what's possible to design. So you don't go off into a vacuum and design something and bring it to the developers and they go, yeah, that's not possible. Or you do that, you take it to the developers, they say it's not possible. It is possible, though, and they just don't know it. So, like, the more technical you can be as a designer, I think the easier it will be for you. But I don't think you necessarily need to be, like, a coding expert in order to be a successful product designer or UX designer. It's kind of like saying you just need to be able to understand how they work together. Yeah, how they work together, a little bit about how developers think and how they how they think about systems. You know, that's something that you kind of learn as you as you work with developers throughout your career. Um, you know, having those strong conversations with them and like really being taking that curiosity that you need to have to be a really good UX designer and learn about your users, you know, motivations and behaviors. You got to do the same thing with developers. Like, be curious about their process. You know, be really interested, and that'll that'll help you kind of build up your technical skills um, as well. Let's talk about the person behind the UX design title. What? Um, and I know you said that you kind of stumbled into this career that you love now. Do you prefer? working for your like right now do you work for yourself as an independent contractor or consultant or do you work directly for a company as a US UX designer um, in general I've worked for companies um, I love being part of a product team and I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert so working alone well working with my dogs in my office is not always satisfying <laughs> I remember hearing and listening to your um, F up story and I want to say fuck up story because I'm the type of person I don't censor myself but I don't know if there's any sensitive souls who are listening so maybe we'll keep that in there maybe we won't we'll see Um, but as I was listening to your um, your fuck up story 
with Fuck Up Atlanta. Now I'm just saying it just because I can, I think. Um, <laughs> you talk Say it loud. It's a wonderful word. <laughs> it's so freeing. I love it. Um, but you talked about um, your another kind of stumble that you've done as far as becoming a community builder or um, what was the term that you used that night? I don't think it was community, that. Organizer. community organizer. Yeah. That's it. You were yeah. saying, I am not the, you know, uh, Barack Obama's or the other, those are community organizers, not me. But it feels like you found some type of groove in there. Talk about um, Atlanta Tech, is it Atlanta Technical Citizens or Atlanta Tech si- Citizens? Atlanta Atlanta Tech Citizens. Okay. So tell us about Atlanta Tech Citizens, how you stumbled into that and why that work was important to you. Yeah, so um, so my last job was actually um, at a organization called Points of Light, and they're the world's largest organization dedicated to volunteer service. And volunteer service has been something that I was personally interested in for a very long time. Um, back when I was, you know, ramping up with UX and really studying UX research, I took a class online, and I had to pick a subject to, to study, um, in my in my research class, and a lot of my friends had been kind of complaining, like, you know, I try to volunteer, but nobody ever gets back to me. And then I heard my friends who were volunteer organizers saying, you know, I could never find quality volunteers. And I was like, well, there's something there. So I'm going to try and study that in my class and see what I can find out. And I just loved the subject so much, um, and I... Uh, during that class, actually discovered points of light, and I said, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work there one day. Like, I don't know when, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna work there one day." And um, a couple of years ago, I went to a Code for Atlanta hackathon, and one of the people who was leading a project was a new VP of product at Points of Light. And I thought, well, that's promising. <laughs> so I sat down at this table and I said, hey, do you need any design work for your project? You know, do you need any, um, any help? And he said, well, actually, I need to prove to my boss that I need to hire a UX person. Um, so why don't you go look at our site and tell us every tiny thing that's wrong with it and what you, you know, like, you don't have to tell us what you do better because we only get free work from you, but like, tell us what's wrong with it. And so I did. <laughs> And then a few months later, I actually, um, uh, he called me and said, hey, I'm ready to hire you. Let's go. And so I actually, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So I actually get to take that love for studying volunteerism, uh, for volunteerism and the, and the studies that I did into a full-time job, which was completely amazing. Um, and getting more into the nonprofit world, I just started seeing like, deeper and deeper issues. People don't know how to talk about technology. People are scared of technology. Um, people have such old computers that stuff's breaking all the time. And um, it they just have this idea that they're not good at tech because the tech that they've been offered is not good. So that is they... That's an amazing point that you just made. That's, yeah, it that says a lot. Simply because of what we've been exposed to, we assume that there's no answers beyond that or what we have available. Yeah, yeah. and it's this is kind of goes back to um, to UX a little bit. Is like you'll hear people in studies, um, like doing usability studies, 
where they'll think they're doing something wrong and they're like, well, I guess I just don't get technology. And it's like, oh, no, you totally get it. This is just really badly designed. Um, And I think that people in the nonprofit world, because there are no budgets for tech and people don't know how to talk about it, so many tools for nonprofits are badly designed. Um, And so, you know, I was really excited that I get I, I got to design better things in my day job, but I was like, there are some major issues in this sector that need to be looked at. Um, and so um, I was kind of contemplating that and letting it simmer for a while. And um, I got invited back to attend um, a coffee hour at, at MailChimp one day. And the woman who was speaking, um, her name is Catherine Bracey. And she has an organization out in San Francisco called Tech Equity, and they work to get, she encourages tech workers in San Francisco to work together with um, housing organizations and housing authorities to try and address the housing situation that tech has caused in San Francisco. Um, and I was so inspired um, by her, like, localized efforts to to tackle a problem she could see and a problem she could wrap her arms around, it, it just, it sparked something in me. And I was like, I'm going to do something. I don't know what yet. And then a couple of days later, I went to volunteer um, at a 5K. And I was just there to like stuff bags and hand them out to the runners. And the system that they'd set up for registration um, was they had a wireless hotspot and they had all these computers and they were going to register everybody online. It was going to go super smoothly. Um, and then the system just stopped working. The, the hotspot wasn't enough. Um, and so we just had to like quickly pivot and start writing everybody's name down on paper. And I just gotten my new iPhone and they were like, you with the big phone, that looks modern. Can you type this up? Can you, can you type this up? Is your cell service good? And so while other people were like doing the registration by hand, I'm taking sheets of paper and I'm just typing this stuff in on my mobile device. And I'm sitting here thinking, why aren't there more tech people here? Like, why aren't we here? Why aren't we in our communities? Why aren't we learning about them and learning about what we need, what, what, what our communities need? Not just like whatever grandiose tech ego idea we get to save the world. Like, why aren't we embedded in here trying to make the world better for these small organizations? And so that's kind of that, that combination of inspiration and experience all in that same week. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Atlanta Tech Citizens. I'm going to get my fellow tech workers um, to try and help nonprofits and help them get better at tech. And I, I just have to believe that the need is there because I used to work a lot with nonprofits and social service organizations. And that's the one area where they were always lacking. There was always talent in the other non-technical areas, but the technical stuff not only did we not know or understand, we didn't know what we didn't know, but we also didn't know where to find the help. Yeah. I really think your um, your solution is brilliant. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. I, I think it one of those pain points goes back to everything that people have experienced in the nonprofit world. All all the tools that they've used, like so many of them are so badly designed. Why would they think of technology? 
as a solution to things. Exactly. You know? Not only that, I also think that they immediately think technology means money and things that we don't have. True. That too. <laughs> I do believe that they, one, because they don't understand it, two, uh, and I shouldn't say they, we, <laughs> don't necessarily <laughs> understand it. We think it's this big, huge elephant that we don't know how to um to actually how to pursue know what you need but then you also feel like there's no money in the budget there's no way because technology seems like one of the most expensive aspects of running a nonprofit organization because like you say most things are so antiquated or uh, donated that Mm -hmm. not at the level that you need it to be to work for you yeah yeah that's so true and I think, too, part of the, like, lack of understanding about technology is the lack of understanding about how to ask for the money for technology. You know, all you know is it costs a lot. Like, how do you put that into a proposal if you, you know, don't have somebody helping you understand what it is? Um, have you ever done any work with the Georgia Center for Nonprofits at the Hurt Plaza? Not yet. I haven't. We're still a very tiny, tiny organization partnering with, um, we've just been partnering so far with nonprofits that we were already involved with in so that, you know, that trust is already built there. Um, and, and the knowledge of what they're doing is, is already there. So we've been kind of ramping up small, um, trying not to get in over our heads. Definitely see how opening the door may get you a flood of inquiries that you definitely, um, can't handle but I used to attend a lot of workshops there and what you're talking about just sounds like an amazing workshop for individuals to be a part of even if it's just a matter of helping them to understand that technology is not as out of reach as it would seem to just even have the conversation because I do think a lot of nonprofits and social service organizations don't even have the conversation because it just seems like it's it's so ominous it's not it's not within their reach yeah and you know as you were saying that you know thinking of a workshop, I was like, oh, we should really write up a workshop that is how to ask for money for technology. You know, I have a few friends in nonprofits who know how to do that, and I'd love to tap into their knowledge and, you know, start helping people have better conversations around technology. So you just mentioned something um, that I think you also highlighted the night I listened to your presentation, and you said for the individuals that you have on board, as far as your volunteers, you guys work directly with um, nonprofits that where there's already a relationship, where there's a warm introduction, so to speak. Tell me a little bit more about how you decided to use that model, or was that just a necessity? No, that was a very conscious decision. Um, it does help it keep help keep it manageable. It was a very deliberate decision because you know one of the things that I see um, or have seen in the past, but it, I'm, I'm starting to see changes in this area too. So let me caveat that. I would go to hackathons and people would be working on projects, but I would just wouldn't see it go anywhere. I wouldn't see a continued effort on it. Um, it really just seemed like projects for people to learn on or to hang out. And so I was kind of frustrated by that. I would go to hackathons as a designer and say, hey, I'm, I've am i got 5% left on my work on this website. It's, I need a little bit of CSS help. Does anybody want to help me get this out the door? And they would be like, uh, okay, designer. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted... 
I wanted to take kind of a um, more holistic approach, I guess, um, just like really embedding ourselves into um, certain organizations rather than like going in with our cape blowing in the wind going, we're going to save your organization through technology. Uh, we don't know anything about you, but we're going to do that. Um, I think it's kind of like that text, you know, where we, we want to start things. We want to create new things. Um, and I think a lot of times we, you know, it's a little bit easier in the, in the business world because there's more, there's just more knowledge out there about what to do in those cases and what kinds of things people are missing in the, in the business world. But, you know, going into a nonprofit and introducing yourself as, hi, I can fix your website. They're like, at what cost? (laughs) You know? At what cost? They're saying, nope, the website's fine. We're not worried about that. You know, we're trying to get the programming off the ground or we're trying to figure out how to hire one more person or we need some more money for whatever. The website is the least of their, their concerns. Yeah. One of the, organizations that we've um, worked really closely with is the Feminist Women's Health Center here in Atlanta. And um, I did um, go to their uh, volunteer manager and introduce myself as, hi, I can fix your website. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, could you just come to volunteer orientation first? Because I don't know you. (laughs) And um, and she was absolutely right, you know, to, to, to like just have me go through and and really learn about the organization and take all the appropriate workshops to really have an understanding of um, the kind of work that they do. And, um, you know, I went to orientation and I was like, okay, I'm just going to look for, they have a really good mailing list for volunteers. Um, And a couple of months later, they just sent out a note and said, Hey, does anybody know how to use MailChimp? We want to switch and uh, we want somebody to help us learn how to do it. And so that was our very first workshop um, with Atlanta Tech Citizens. Um, so we just taught um, them and a couple of other social justice organizations that came to the workshop, um, just taught them, you know, how to use MailChimp, how to switch over, how to set up their lists, um, and kind of give them a, a head start. And so through that, a um, few, few months after that, they came to me and they said, hey, so we are going to do a new website and we'd like to pay someone for it. Um, so this isn't a volunteer opportunity. Like, we have, the, we have the budget for it. And so I was able to connect them um, with a designer who, oh gosh, I wish I could remember her agency name off the top of my head. Um, but she has a design agency where she hires... Um, young Latina women and helps them with their design skills so that, you know, they can have great opportunities in in the design and tech world. So we're able to make this connection that just keeps going. And, you know, we've, we've done a couple other smaller things for them. Like they had something on their old website was causing it to crash. And I called one of my developer friends and I said, can you figure out what's going on there and help them fix it? Um, we've connected them with a mentor for their IT intern. So it's kind of just this like, not just like going in and doing, doing one project and being like, okay, great. You're great on technology for the rest of your organization's life. Like we really just want to be partner to people and really stay with them through it, you know? I think the work that you are doing is amazing, and I definitely hope it, hope it continues to move in that direction because it just seems like there's such a need for what you're talking about, and there's not very many 
And, and I'm saying this knowing that I have not done the research. So there could be other people who are doing what you do or want to do what you do. Yeah. And I just don't know about it. Um, but I just think that there is a huge need there. And I, you know, really, really, really wish you guys all the success in the world. To that end, what's next for Atlanta Tech Citizens? What What do you want to see happen from here? Do you want more people on board? Or what are you, what are you hoping for? What's your best case scenario? Yeah, a couple of things we've been talking about are, you know, creating some workshops um, that we can give to nonprofits, maybe creating some online courses or ebooks or something just kind of to educate nonprofits a little bit more about technology and start finding out, like, who's interested, who's who knows that they need something in tech, but they don't know what it is. You know, I want to connect with those nonprofits. Um, right now, I have a lot of tech people who are interested in helping. And when I say tech people, specifically tech workers of any kind. So if you do social media, if you, you know, work in IT, if you're a developer or a designer, um, if you are an accountant at a tech company, you're going to know more about tech than most accountants. Um, and so if there's a need that kind of happens in that space, you know, I want to make sure that it's very inclusive of anyone who works in technology. And so I've got lots of those people who want to help um, because that's my world and that, those are the people that I know and the people that I can more easily talk to. So I think the next step is kind of reaching out to that group of tech people and saying, okay, who do you volunteer for? Talk to them. Let's start there. People like yourself and I, and I, I'm, I'm grouping us together, making an assumption right now, but it's almost as if we are in the process of simply figuring it out from day to day. You know, we have our grand plans. We know what it is that we want to do. But for individuals who haven't quite made the leap into our world of creating something from scratch, and they want to, but they are the individual who believes... I have to have a business card first. I need to have a logo. I have to have this awesome website or I need to be considered as an expert for people to take me seriously. What advice, because my the Startup and Thrive podcast is for eventual entrepreneurs, what advice would you give a person who has an idea, they have the expertise like you do, they want to start something but they've convinced themselves that they can't start until all of these other factors come into play that truly don't happen until you start? Oh, yeah. Um, definitely thought about that. I think, you know, just start with some discovery. Start talking about your idea with people. Let them let them know what you're thinking about. Have conversations about it. And the website and the business card, yeah, I mean, they're pretty important in the beginning. Like, you want people to know that you exist. But, I mean, I'm... I'm a professional tech person and I used the drag and drop website to create my Atlanta tech citizen site. Like I wasn't going to code something from scratch. I needed something simple that I could get done in an hour. And I just made a quick site and you know, it's, it evolves with our ideas. Um, I only bought 50 business cards and not a thousand to start with. <laughs> so those little things, you know, it's just a day by day process. I think, you know, got to lean into your idea, start working at it bit by bit. You know, I, I have days that I devote to um, Atlanta Tech Citizens, but, you know, it's mostly my side hustle. So I just, you know, I, I have a list of all the things that I want to do and I just slowly check them off when I have time. Um, but, you know, I had a little bit of knowledge about tech and a little bit of, well, a lot of knowledge about tech, a little bit of knowledge about nonprofit. I think the most important thing is I've got the curiosity 
to find out where that intersection is and just chip away at it and just chip away until it becomes something. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful advice. So do you feel right now, um, Jen, that you are creating the life that you love, whatever that looks like, whatever the obstacles, challenges, and hurdles are, do you feel like at this point in your life you are on an intentional path to kind of figure that out? You know, to be quite honest, um, right now I don't I don't know that my path is intentional. Um, for so much of my career, I've had a goal in mind. You know, I knew for five years before, five, yeah, five, four or five years before I worked there that I wanted to work at Points of Light. Um, and then when I got there, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this for a while. I'm going to see what the world brings to me next. And it brought Atlanta Tech Citizens. And um, I'm kind of just being open right now to see what life brings me. There you go. And I think that's ultimately all we can do. That's why I said um, that sometimes day to day, we're just trying to figure it out and stay in it long enough to, um, I don't want to say live to see another day, but, you know, kind of just fight to see what's next or to like a day to simply just not give up and not throw in the towel. So um, I think your advice is extremely um, valid for individuals who are in that near startup space and they do want to take the leap. They just don't know what the next step looks like. I think it's important for people to figure to understand that most times, even people who look like they have it all together don't necessarily know what the next step looks like. They just keep pursuing it, whatever it is. Yeah. And if you need to take a break, take a little break, take a rest, but don't give up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last question for you. This is my signature question that I ask every single person that I interview, and I would love to hear what your perspective is on it. If you had the opportunity to have a conversation with either your past self or your future self, which would it be and why? Wow, that is a fantastic question. <laughs> I always get. That's why I love to ask it at the end and why question. It's so amazing. Um, I think right now in this moment in my life, I think I'd really like to talk to to my past self. You know, I've had throughout my tech career, I've had some amazing successes and, you know, I've had some real lows too. And I kind of want to go back to me who's in 2013, who's struggling with, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I living right? Am I making life for myself? I want to go let her know that it's all going to be okay. And just, just let the world, just let the world happen. You don't have to control everything. Things will happen and things will get better. I love it. Now, I said that was going to be the last question, but I forgot to ask you. So there's something to be said for women in wellness and self-care and, you know, kind of taking care of ourselves as we figure things out. I remember you mentioning something about a rock band. What do you do in your downtime? Like, how do you have fun? Yeah, I I am. I'm in a couple of bands. Um, I'm a songwriter. Um Mostly I play bass um, out and about, a little bit of guitar. But what I do secretly at home that I don't let anybody hear yet is I play my drums. I love it. I'm having a Freaky Friday Anna moment with the bass guitar. I don't even know if that's the same guitar. Have you ever seen that movie? I, a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) It was a favorite of mine, and I'm not afraid to say, even at my age, that movie, it's like nostalgia. I go back and watch it every now and again. It's just one of those feel-good movies. So bass guitar and the drums, that music is music is kind of your therapy. 
Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mine yeah. Too. I have no musical um, talents whatsoever, but I'm a very good listener and I have about 500 vinyl records. So awesome. That's all I can say as far as musical talents, but music is definitely one of those things when things are just way too much and way too intense. I have to find music in order to, you know, kind of keep things, keep me focused or to, to get me out of my little funk. If I decide that I need to go into my shell for a second, um, music is everything for me. So, oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And not only is playing, um, you know, we don't have any shows booked right now, but um, my acoustic duo, The Downs, actually did just do some recording. Um, and so they're um, off getting mastered at the moment. Uh, sometime soon we will have uh, some music that people can listen to. Well, Jen, it really does sound like you are one thing at a time, one step at a time, one project at a time, one idea at a time, kind of figuring out what works for you. So I definitely wish you the best in everything that you do. I'm sure in somehow, some way we'll reconnect um, somewhere around Atlanta. Who knows, you know, where we'll be next. Good luck with everything. I really enjoyed having this conversation, this transparent conversation with you. It's going to be good for a lot of folks out there, for a lot of listeners. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much, Jen. Well, I will leave you to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Hey there, Adventure Entrepreneur. Don't forget to take a look in our resources library and our online training and development hub for a tool of sorts that relates specifically to UX design and some of the many tips that Jen offered us today. That particular resource will accompany this podcast episode. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Another episode in the books done and done. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Startup and Thrive podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe, like, love, download, recommend, and share this podcast with other eventual entrepreneurs or anyone in the process of creating their fulfilled life. I welcome you to join this community of entrepreneur leaders by subscribing at courageandcandor.org forward slash subscribe. Of course, if you wish to know a bit more about me, your host, you can visit charlenelsanders.com or connect with me on IG or Twitter at CEO Charlene. I look forward to the next time. Don't make this time your last time.